Yes, you'd have to say the past couple of years have been perhaps among the most stressful in Australians' recent memory, the terrifying bushfires, COVID shutting the borders, many of us being forced into our own homes for many months, as Melbourne knows very well, and now devastating flooding, which has cost lives and homes. And meanwhile, that terrible war is being waged against Ukrainians, and we're watching that day by day. Rolling crises test our mental health to the limit, particularly when communities face them over and over again. But is there a way to adapt and react such that we keep our spirits up, whether we're on the ground itself in the midst of it or from a distance looking on? Well, Professor Ian Hickey is the co-director of the Health and Policy at the University of Sydney's Brain and Mind Centre and very interested in these types of uh, communal responses. Welcome to the program. Good morning, Geraldine. Um, Continuous events like this, rolling events, they can really sap people's energy and and, uh, contribute to that sense of helplessness. Does it always have to be that way? It doesn't. Chronic unrelenting stress is much worse than an acute event. So potentially it's very bad. But actually, like all crises, depending how a community responds, depending on how we respond, actually determines the longer-term psychological effect. So crises on their own don't simply give rise to mental health problems. It depends what we do in response to those crises. Now, that sounds... That's a, that is a typical sort of... I'd say you would say that. <laughs> but uh, this... So are you suggesting that, uh, in fact, people have got choices? Is it the very thing I think people would think, I don't have any choice at the moment. Uh, I'm just sort of... I'm just reacting. I'm just reacting. You're saying there are other ways to think. Well, that is part of the difficulty. We are just reacting and it's unpredictable and we don't know. So normally you say, okay, we know what's happened. This is what we'll do and that'll make it better, both individually but importantly, collectively. A lot of the things at the moment, of course, are unpredictable. We don't know. Is there another Omicron variant? Is there another crisis going to happen? The Ukraine things now happen, et cetera, et cetera, as you've, as you've articulated. But we need to think about actually what is the right response? How do we actually respond? So there's a lot of emphasis, I think, inappropriately on individual resilience. What should you do in the face of crisis to recover? Mm. I think the much more important question is what do we do collectively and how do we then get engaged? The the heart of the question you're asking, of course, is you've got to do productive things. You've got to do things that make you feel you are responding to the crisis that we face. And then you feel a whole lot better about it. And of course, communities actually function better when they do respond collectively. So torpor or you're implying there that just um, the sense that one is unable to do anything, that is particularly bad. Absolutely. So the individual sense, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do about Ukraine. There's nothing I can do about climate change. There's nothing I can do to stop further episodes of flooding or, or environmental disaster. There's no action. That's what tires people out. That's what actually mentally does the greatest damage. And, of course, when you say it's a choice, that's kind of what you instinctively do when you see something like the Ukraine war or you see an overwhelming event like the floods in northern New South Wales and Queensland. So the initial response is understandable, but it becomes important then, okay, what do we do? Now, the danger in my field is people go, oh, well, let's do counselling. Let's send in psychological relief. Let's send in a whole lot of people to help. But actually... That's been well demonstrated to do harm, not good. (laughs) What people do collectively together in their families, in their communities, to respond to the challenges, that's been well demonstrated to be psychologically good, not only in the short term, 
but to actually build community resilience, to come to trust others, to come to believe that we can respond productively to the various challenges that we know we're going to face again. We know this is not the end of it. We know there will be more challenges in many of the communities in which we live. Well, that's interesting. So who would you send? Would you send any people? I mean, because that's that's very live debate, as you know, at the moment, as to whether there was sufficient formal response and help for people uh, in certain areas. I mean, that, and, and, you know, in fact, the management of natural disasters, I think, is becoming a very important new political skill. So what the communities in Lismore demonstrated so elegantly is they actually responded together. <laughs> they didn't do what they were told, sit down and do nothing. They got out in boats and kayaks and water skis and everything immediately. Now the issue for government is what else needs to be done. Of course, the infrastructure, the hardware to do that properly often needs to be provided by government, but not simply controlled by government, making people helpless or passive in the face of those areas. So as you go into the cleanup, as you go into the reconstruction, the genuine community consultation, the discussion about what to do, how to do it. You've seen people, actually volunteers, lots helping each other cleaning things out, reconstructing, offering housing. Government then needs to enable that, needs to put in the financial structures, the hardware, not start telling people what to do, not send in the generals and the chain of command that orders communities to be passive. People have got to join in and actually solve problems. What happens as a consequence, not only in the short term, is a coming together of the community, what I alluded to earlier, a trust in each other, okay, what are the sort of things we need for next time? Can we respond together? Because Australia has a fabulous sort of uh, history of volunteering. You know, you think about surf clubs and our community groups and others that have this, we're going to help each other. We're going to organise ourselves in ways that are good now, but they're really good for the future. And I think a sort of sense of an over-reliance on central government doesn't actually help that. It actually makes people feel worse. And then we get angry with the government for not doing it well, as distinct from what's the role of government in enabling that really important community response. Yeah, well, that so the language would have to shift because at the moment there's very much this sense of, and of course there's a very real people were stranded on roofs and so on, and why weren't they risk? Why weren't they rescued earlier? But you're suggesting that the language I think you're saying of community of political leaders ought to be, we will be there to support you helping yourselves. Is that what you're sort of saying? Absolutely. The good leaders go in and say, what did you need? What wasn't here? How can we help? What are the community resources that we can actually uh, deliver? That's a great example overnight. You know, we've all been told there's a convoy of housing headed to the North Rivers, mm. 20 houses. There are thousands of people who are homeless. Mm. That's a sort of classic big government response. We also know on the North Coast in those areas, there's a lot of Airbnbs. There's a lot of unused accommodation. There's a lot of other issues. There's a lot of people willing to share their homes. How do you support that financially? How do you support that community response that would actually house people in homes immediately, not send in 20 caravans. You know, so the difference between a big and ineffective government response, which is sort of intrudes, versus actually mobilising the community to actually do things that support each other. It's almost an engineer's, right. an engineer's response, you know, how do I sequentially problem solve these things? It's an, absolutely an engineer's response. It's absolutely a hardware infrastructure response, not a smart community response that makes use of human relationships, personal capacities to help solve those particular problems. This is exactly the point. In fact, Shane Fitzsimons, who's an excellent head of Resilience New South Wales, I think is well aware that his job is not just to rebuild bridges and roads and hard infrastructure, but to get involved in creating communities that have the infrastructure, the support they need for people, for finance, not just for building stuff. 
Mm. I mean, how much of a role does the media's reporting of responses to these crises play into it? Because it's quite a tricky dance for the media. It is, and, and, and disaster, as I'm sure you know well, Geraldine, disaster makes great media. Mm. So all the bad stories. Now, I think in this particular instance, the media coverage of the community response was actually quite helpful seeing those large Fijians carrying disabled and elderly people, seeing people turn up to help, seeing people be first responders effectively and making those decisions together, you know, mobilising private helicopters, not waiting for the ADF to turn up in various ways. So the reporting of that I thought was actually very useful, but there's a very angry tone too. What government hasn't done, what didn't get solved, as if which is our which situation. is our role as well. It's just that it, it, whether the other part of the role is played as well, I suppose that's your suggestion. Well, I think the media thinks two sides of a political coin. If the political class says, well, we never made a mistake, everything was done, what possibly more could you expect? You know, we do, it's a once in 500-year event. We've been discussing climate-related emergencies in Australia for the last decade, every summer, every year. So I think if there's a denialism on the political side, of course, the media side is one of accountability, and quite rightly too. As distinct from, I think the Prime Minister's more recent comments, Australia has become a hard place to live in. Guess what? Who didn't know that? A land of, you know, fires, floods and sweeping plains. I think we all knew that and its exacerbation. The question is, one, are we prepared and can our communities actually respond in ways and, from my point of view, protect their mental health? More importantly, you might say, build their mental wealth, actually build a capacity to respond in the future enabled by government. Okay, that's post-traumatic growth you're talking about. Very interesting. I've actually, one of our texts has said, when will the arts community be seen as having a vital role in recovery? Which is, I think, a very pertinent question, actually. Um, Professor... Can I say on that one, Jordan? Fundamental. Festivals, singing, dancing, coming together, expressing that, absolutely. Good. Okay, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Professor Ian Hickey, co-director of of Health and Policy at the University of Sydney's Brain and Mind Centre. And um, clearly this has tapped something in your collective uh, approaches. (laughs) Our text line is very much lit up about this.